Hello and welcome to episode 206 of What Most People Think and um, well look it's uh, it's an early episode this week and there's quite a grave reason for that is our planet stands once again on the brink of potentially um, war. The, the planet is once again tilting on its axis as two great nations may face each other down in uh, in nuclear conflict. I'm talking, of course, about England and Australia as a consequence of a highly contentious fifth day of test cricket at Lords on Sunday. Um, now, I know, so this is going to be a solo episode and a bit of it will be talking about cricket, but don't sack it off. Do not sack it off because it's going to be loads of the usual stuff as well. We talk about what's going on uh, in other world events. But um, I just thought maybe if you've seen all this hullabaloo, okay, I think, I think that's the first time I've ever said that word out loud. That's interesting. Where where was that word living in my brain all those years, just getting disillusioned, thinking I'm never, he's never going to say hullabaloo. He's not that sort of guy. He'll say clusterfuck instead. Um, if you're wondering what it's all been about, I'll try and explain it. And in a completely unbiased way, as a whinging pom, I'll try to explain why the Aussie team are in fact uh, the, the worst example of humanity. So there you go. Hopefully there'll be a balanced take for you. Um, I will also talk about uh, the fact I went on a stag do. I went on a stag do Friday just gone, and um, wow, you know, like what did I got? I was on my way down to it, and I thought I'm nervous. I'm actually nervous. I haven't been on a stag do for long enough that I was like, can I can I even do this anymore? You know, like a you know like a like a rock star going back out on tour. I was like, fuck it. But it turns out, look, I. I lasted the pace, and I'll tell you more. I'll tell you more to come. And, and guess what? Here's another thing. Um, oh, I did that thing of saying, "Guess what?" That's become um, one of those verbal ticks that's become very fashionable, isn't it? When somebody is on television or doing public talking, that in the middle of a sentence they say, "And guess what?" And it, but they never give you a chance to guess. Like, well, guess what? I'm not a fucking child. Or, I feel like linguistically, it's one step up from saying "abracadabra." It's just a weird thing to say in a sentence. But guess who? has picked to take his wife on a romantic mini break to Paris on Tuesday. I mean, how's your luck, right? I mean, obviously your work luck could be worse. You could be living in Paris. But um, yeah, I've got to say to her, baby, going on a surprise one day mini break. Where have you picked, Jeff? Paris. Where are you going after that? North Korea. <laughs> are you going after that? The West Bank. We're going to all the hot spots. Um, but yeah, so I'll be talking about that too. But before we get on to all of that, um, new patrons. So this show is kept weekly and ad-free, as you'll notice. I haven't mentioned anything about some new contraption that you can only buy online called Fizzlebug. Fizzlebug. Can I just stop and talk to you for it? This is what uh, I was listening to a cricket podcast that I've been enjoying. It's that earnest way that they stop and talk about the adverts that makes me laugh. Can I just stop and talk to you about Fizzlebug? Fizzlebug is this new way of getting uh, of getting bum hair off your bum. Just a Fizzlebug. Have you ever looked at your bum and thought, God, I wish it was smooth? No. But anyway, the Fizzlebug, i got to say, you know, of all the bum hair removal um, contraptions on the market, Fizzlebug, and they just keep saying the thing, Fizzlebug is the one that certainly kept my ass as smooth as a baby's... No, we can't say that. Sounds a bit noncy. Okay. It's smooth as smooth as a work surface. Doesn't sound as good. Um, 
So it's funded by patrons, uh, and if you sign up, so basically we've had the first of the month just now, so that's when it does the payment run and stuff. So please, there's a few um, members who've dropped out. Have a quick check if you want to stay involved to make sure that your uh, your patronage is live. Just a reminder of the there's loads of various benefits that come, but one of the ones you'll get immediately is that you'll be able to see my last free stand up specials in full. Like the last special, there's an 80 minute version of my last tour. I blame the parents, streaming only. Uh, on Patreon, and that's available at any tier. So go and have a look at the tiers uh, and sign up. And fuck, there was something else I was going to say there about. So anyway, so basically, just go to the Patreon website, and just uh, search Jeff Norcott or what most people think, and you can sign up. And um, there's another new board member. Oh fuck, I need to. I think I mentioned him last week, but anyway, I'll be doing one of the benefits of once you've uh, become a VIP at ten pounds a month. If you upgrade that. Uh, voluntarily to 20 quid a month you'll not only you'll will you get a book which i'll send to you with an inscription that you can decide on uh, during the tour uh, you can come and do a meet and greet so in the interval of my tour shows uh, you can come and uh well i'll just i'll just fluff you up a bit i'll give you a bit of a fuzzle bug what was it called it yeah i'll, I'll fuzzle bug your, your anal <laughs> uh, we've got a couple of new patrons this week we've got andrew riddell andrew riddell Andrew Riddell, you just sound like a, a linebacker for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Andrew Riddell, Andrew Riddell coming in there. That is the first and ten. Why does American sports commentary sound so good when they talk about American football, but so shit when they talk about soccer? Uh, we've got also Kevin Greenshay. Kevin Greenshay. I think he's one of these guys that's noticed that Patreon has bumped him out. So that might have happened to you. So do double check that. But uh, welcome both of you. Uh, Andrew Riddell and Kevin Greenshay. Maybe you won the, maybe you were two linebackers for the uh, the Miami Dolphins. Do you remember that when we were young? They were the only American football team that, because uh, that, people just thought it was cool. Because it's just two, two things together that people like. Miami, cool. Dolphins, also cool. So using that, Using that, could you just go like Chicago Bears? That's pretty cool as well. Um, there are some sporting teams that have shit animals, though, don't they? Is, is there any? Here's a good one to email in the podcast. Oh, what most people think, UK at gmail.com. If there's anything in the podcast you want to respond to, are there any sporting teams that have really shit animals? You know what I mean? Like, like the one. I mean, I mean, I'm a Wimbledon fan, and we have the Wombles, and the Wombles are famous, but they're not like cool animals, are they? I mean, they're not like, they're not attack dogs or, you know, they're not uh, known well as predators. But the one thing that we can guarantee is after the game, uh, we will tidy up. Uh, <laughs> uh, there you go. Little Wombles gag going way back to the 70s there. Um, David Domain, who is our super patron, he comes back to us on points from last week's episode, which was the episode uh, with Simon Evans. And we were talking about, um, uh, we were talking about the misuse of the term narcissist. And um, it's become quite broadly used now. Uh, it's just a term of insult. It just it's just started to mean wanker essentially, and um, David agrees that, uh, that that was misused by Ben Elton in his attack on Rishi Sunak, and he uh, suggests that Rich, Richard Grannon's videos are very instructive on the misuse of narcissism. Also, I should say I had quite a lot of correspondence about uh, our discussion on uh, women's pay in cricket, and a few people said that we were sounding a bit gammony and a bit sexist. I'm, I'm sorry, I, however we sounded, the point that we were making, I guess it dovetails with a bit of the gender-critical argument, where the gender-critical argument as to why trans women shouldn't be allowed in sport is because men are sort of faster, quicker, more agile. So what that means is that, that sport between men and women, biological men and women, will always be a bit different. So men's sport will always be a bit faster. So the spectacle of men's sport, broadly speaking, it's not true for all sports, will always be uh, 
probably more. Uh, this is <laughs> this is where you get guys realise the next thing he's going to say will sound sexist, but it would just probably be more uh, pacey. Should we say it like that? It will be it will be higher octane, um, and so therefore I don't doubt that like if you paid uh, female cricket players more, the sport would improve. I don't doubt that at all. But I just do think that you'll eventually come up against the point where that they're, they're different spectacles, you know? So that's that's a good way, isn't it? Yeah, just as there's people that thought you were sexist, so I've gone, I'll just make the same argument uh, again. But it's not it's not like... It, I suppose if you're like small C conservative, right, one of the things is, is seeing the world as it is, not as you wish it to be. And for me, that just seems undeniable, right? That, that, that sport, men and women's sport at the top level will be different you know and there are some sports where that difference isn't necessarily a bad thing like tennis there are some but in, in a lot of them uh it means that women's sport um it's like, just keep going jeff i mean people say that they'll keep digging i mean look i don't i don't think this is a hole personally i think i'm building a, a nice hill here to die on the thank you is uh to the stag do my friend h we went out on his stag do so generous such a cool like a great schedule of events and stuff everything was in 5 minutes walking distance of the last thing i would say that the average age i was i, I was i suppose i was lower mid range in terms of age which so we were we were experienced we were experienced group of veterans going out there so the bit I was wondering about was the nightclub. I love going and listening to house music and stuff, but after a day on the piss, um, I didn't know if I'd make it. But we got there, and I, I was pleased with the performance that um, that I put in. Um, I felt like I looked like someone's dad in the nightclub. That that is it, uh, happening increasingly now, where people just go, "Sorry, mate, do you want to wait in your car outside?" On the double yellows, getting stressed because uh, I think your daughter will be out in a minute. I'm like, "No, no, I'm actually here, dude. I'm here to vibe with the sounds," and. Um, the music was a bit slow going and I was uh, quite openly crit- critical of that fact. Maybe I shouldn't have been. But then one bloke there, who's a, I think was a bit of a techno nerd, uh, told my mate, who's also called Jeff, uh, he said to him that, uh, he said, your, your friend shouldn't be actually criticised the music. Yeah, just so you know. He was, really, he was really shitty about it in a sort of techie, weird, beardy way. He said, because he's actually witnessing history here. <laughs> Fucking witnessing history. I think I was witnessing a lot of things in that nightclub. I was witnessing gurning jaws. I was witnessing us as a group of middle-aged men losing weight in vision in real time because of how much we were sweating. But um, I'm not sure uh, I was witnessing history. But um, anyway, I had to roll back the years the following day. I got, to, I managed to extricate myself a fair time. I think it was about 3 a.m. Got, got a decent few hours, Kip. And then scheduled in was uh, at midday was a five aside. And I, I had an eye on that. I was worried about that. Because I hadn't played any, even vaguely competitively for 20 years. And then somewhat biz- bizarrely, I went and had a fry up just before it. So I started running around. I just thought, I might, might just I might just die here. This might be how, this, would this be the worst place to go? But... But I got through it and played pretty well and scored six goals. And, and, and some of the other lads were calling me a dark horse, which I was like, well, well hang on, how, how shit did you presume <laughs> that I would be? But, uh, but yeah, I thought, um, I thought maybe, you know, maybe I found the perfect combination of alcohol, fry-ups and um, sleep deprivation that could have seen me play at the top level. The fuck you is to my dogs, who are just, I mean, I've, I've moaned about them before. Nothing's changed, really. They're so annoying. They're so annoying. The older one, right? She's getting on for twelve now. All she does on our walks is she's now basically 
everywhere that we walk, she's got about 15 places where she's found some sort of food. So all she does is go back to those places repeatedly. I think she, I think she's, I think my dog might be on the spectrum, you know. She's just got, she just does these repeated behaviours. And she also, and this is where I do lose respect for her, is she snuffles for cat shit. That's what she's, that's what she's into. You know, she likes eating cat shit. She thinks it's like a fucking delicacy. And it's really hard to respect your dog after that when you get a moment they're like come in for like, you know, you ate cat shit earlier. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that you, you know, just it's it's really because you don't brush your teeth either. It's really hard to uh, it's really hard to get past that. And then the younger one, fucking scrappy dude, is about like one fifth of the size of the older one. Just because the older one tolerates her bullshit, she then thinks she can fight any dog. And and I'm just praying. So when we walk past other dogs, she barks and yaps and stuff. And um, I'm just praying other dogs will kick the shit out of her. <laughs> and it's really weird because I'm trying to say to other owners, that oh, I'm so sorry that, you know, when their dog kind of like nips at my dog, I'm like, no, go for it. Do you know what I mean? I say let them off the lead and fight to the death. Um, <laughs> I'm like, no, nah, she needs it. It makes me look like a psychopath. We walked past the other day, there was this, um, there was this cat and... Uh, and uh, the younger dog, uh, Anne-Marie, which I, I get it, it's a strange name for a dog, she goes up close and was getting in the cat's face. So the cat is one of those cats that can basically, has got like really good hands, like sort of Sugar Ray Leonard. So the cat's kind of like gets up on its toes and then boom, boom, just knocks out a couple of jabs, which I thought was exactly what my dog need. And then the little lads that were sitting there, they were about 10 or 11, they were nice kids. Like, oh, I'm so sorry my cat did that. I'm like, no, that's what the animal needs. Let's go for round two. They're like, I can imagine... <laughs> They went and said, Mummy, Daddy, there was, there was this man that came around with his dog and he was asking us to get our cat to beat it up. You're like, OK, that's going straight on the fucking neighbourhood group. OK, right. Uh, just quickly, uh, before we get on to talking about the cricket, let's talk about what's been happening in Paris. So, as I say, the... Yeah, the week where I'm taking my wife to um, a surprise little getaway to Paris, it seems to have all gone, well, it's all got very dark over there. I mean, first up, what started is this, This, you know, a 17-year-old kid has been had been shot by a copper. Obviously, there are, you know, I mean, it's very hard to think what the circumstances would, would be that would make that anything other than horrific, but there are some disputed circumstances. So I hope, you know, just like with the George Floyd thing where that cop eventually got done, um, the truth will out, right? I, I want to talk about the, the, the riots um, themselves and how riots tend to work. Because, I mean, the only real ex recent experience we've got here is after the Mark Duggan thing and then we had the London riots. And I did think that, you know, I mean, in a more extreme way, a sort of similar thing happened in France, really. Because you remember the Mark Duggan riots? There was a couple of nights of it and then uh, and then it rained. And so, oh, was that... <laughs> you have to think, were you that committed? You know, night one... It's about the issue. Night two, it's about getting free trainers. Night three, oh, it's raining, I might stay indoors. Um, it doesn't, doesn't feel like a, a cultural moment at that point, you know what I mean? Imagine if the uh, imagine if any of the, the sort of big terrorist groups have gone, oh, it's raining, you know. We at the IRA, we will not cease our campaign on mainland, unless it's a bit overcast, or unless there's a few wee drops of rain. Um so, so this is the way I see it, right? You, you have the initial protest and backlash, which is about what happened, but then it becomes something else, right? So I'm trying to envisage it like, you know, on the London Underground, and if there are any novelists go, oh, don't make London-centric references, you understand what I'm talking about, right? There are zones. I'm sure you have it in your little towns up north, you know, your little tram systems. 
Um, there's zone one, zone two, and it goes all the way up to zone six, right? So zone one, we'll think of it as the activist response, which is people who are horrified by the killing itself and um, seeking justice, right? And then you get to zone two, and it's still a bit of that, and maybe it's your usual protest crowd that are turning up. Zone three, it's starting to get a bit narky. You start to see some people that just like a scrap. By the time you get to zone six, it's people who want new trainers and like setting fire to stuff, right? It's nothing to do with the thing itself. And I just, it bugs me that these people who are acting in this fucking feral way get to make out that it's about social justice. It's nothing to do with that. And thank God the family themselves have said that. You know, the family of the lad that got killed have said that you are not honouring his memory at all to stop it, right? And we did see this with George Floyd. Of course, there was the initial reaction to the horrific video of what had happened. And then it went so far beyond that uh, in the end. And it went, it's gone in France, you know, right from the really sinister stuff of the French mayor where his house was uh, ram-raided and then uh, they, they shot, um, I mean, just they were trying, it's like attempted fucking murder. And then they were trying to, um, they were firing fireworks at his wife and daughter as they were trying to escape. And you think, come on, man, like, you, think, you think you're the good guys. No, we are angry as the police. We're angry. You're launching fireworks at a woman and a child. I mean, so there's the really sinister stuff where you go, this is just unleash something, you know, very kind of like unpleasant in human beings that wish to be involved with and, and add to the chaos. But then there's also the, um, the the slightly comical stuff, really. I mean, looting always always uh, involves these moments. You know, I remember in the George Floyd, Floyd riots, there was this, uh, there was this clearly, there was this white kid that come out of a shop and... Uh, there was police either side and he had all these trainers in his in his hands. He went to run left and he saw police one way and he went to run uh, right and he saw police there. And in the end, he just threw all the trainers up in the air like a sort of cartoon looter and then ran straight ahead. Um, so there was some stuff like that. That There were people that had just literally run out of stuff to loot. And, and the most extreme example of this was they ended up trying to steal a sapling tree. I, sh- I shit you not. You know one of those trees, like these short, you know, trees that's maybe slightly taller than a tall man, but they have those little wooden things around them to protect them as they grow. They were going to great lengths to try and uproot this tree. And I thought, what, what, incre- what an incredible sort of like impulse. You go, what, is it like on, oh, oh I'd like that tree in my house, you know. What a great opportunity. Why should they have all the nice trees? Um, this is the first time I've t- tried the French accent. I don't, it's not really going very well. Um, and, and and I just thought, like, and they spent so much time on it. Like, they've gone, no, we have committed now, lads. Let's keep going to the end. Um, and it happens, doesn't it? If you get, if you see it in crowd trouble, there'll be just some random moment where somebody caught up, caught up in the chaos does something just genuinely bizarre. Like every so often at a football match, you'll just see a geezer punching a horse. I've sort of think it was a Newcastle fan once, just up, just fucking. It was sort of like a right cross into the horse's jaw, and and just thought, is that is that like you've lost your mind in the moment, or your whole life you were sort of waiting for a moment where you could just punch a horse and get away with it? It's just so weird. And you know the idea. I mean, I feel for people living there. It just I think it's very hard to feel confident about where you live when you seem like a fucking a Fiat Uno on fire in the street outside your house. Um, and you just wonder, like, could that happen here? I guess if there was, like, a, a you know, a moment like that with a policeman and a young, um, you know, North African immigrant lad, yeah, it could, it could I guess. I don't know. And, and it's funny because I did, um, 
I did gigs in, a gig in Paris at the beginning of the year and one of the comics that was on was doing that thing that a lot of, you know, lefty remaining type comics done of sort of apologising for the absolute bin fire in Britain, the shit show and the clusterfuck, you know, just this idea that, that Britain is somehow uniquely beset with um, social problems and yet the rest of the world is just serenely marching on and it's all fine and sophisticated and no racism in Europe whatsoever. Um and 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 it's and, and I remember after the gig, like the the audience just sat there while she was saying that. I kind of thought that they would cheer and laugh and go, "Yeah, fuck Britain, you wankers, Brexit, fuck you," but they was just very quiet. And then I spoke to this French lad afterwards, and he was going, "Well, it's just it's just a bit weird to us because like we've got loads of issues here that are just simmering underneath the surface. So we're not we're not um, we are in a glass house, and we're not throwing stones yet because <laughs> we realise uh, we realise how uh, thin that glass is." So, you know, I, I mean, I hope it all dies down. I am going out to Paris on Tuesday. So, um, listen, if uh, if that is the last you ever hear of me, uh, it's been a heck of a ride. I thank you for the support for the podcast. If you just see me, if you <laughs> if you just see on the news, you know what I mean? They're just like, fucking hell, it's kicking off in uh, in Paris. Is that Norcott? Is that Norcott being carried, uh, being thrown into a trash compactor? <laughs> Oh, well, jeez, what a way to go. What a way, it's one way you'd lose weight. Let's see, it might be a first day of offending French people. If you are French and you're offended by my characterizations there, email in whatmostpeoplethinkuk at gmail.com. Uh, just to do a quick hype here uh, on the book. The book, I have written a book. It is called um, The British Bloke Decoded. And it is about, there was some hullabaloo. Fuck me, what is going on with hullabaloo? Um, about women over the weekend, about women writing books about men, you know, because obviously women write books about women, they write books about men. Would I ever, would I ever feel confident to write enough a book about female behaviour? I don't know. But if you sort of saw that and thought, well, I'd actually write to, like to read a book about blokes written by a bloke. I've had 46 years of field experience and I've got it all down in my new book, The British Bloke Decoded. So if you go on Amazon or, or Waterstones or wherever you get your books, pre, you do me a solid, even if you're not a patron or whatever, it really helps those pre-audios, uh, those pre-audios, those pre... Anyway, let's get on to talking about the cricket. Okay, so just to bring you up to date what's been going on with the cricket. So first of all, there's this thing called cricket, okay? If you're in America, it's, uh, it's like baseball, but for the intelligent, okay, for people over the age of five. <laughs> um, it's called cricket, and there's a contest called the Ashes, which is between England and Australia, and it happens roughly every three years, alternately in England and Australia. And it's seen by many to be, maybe, you know, maybe it's arrogant to say it's the biggest series in cricket, but it's certainly the one with the most history. This year, Australia have come to England to contest the Ashes, trying to win it in England for the first time since 2001. And it's an interesting con sort of clash of styles, really. Uh, England have got the young buccaneers. They want to be entertainers, you know. So to a point where it has sounded a bit like David Brent, we're just chilled out entertainers, man. Get me the guitar. Uh, and the Aussies are undeniably world-class, but, but but more old school. And for old school, read really boring. So Aussies win the first test, uh, despite England making a lot of the running and potentially some bad decisions along the way. But the Australians played some very sort of like, uh, sort of savvy cricket and, and, and won a very tight one, right? Now, the Aussies, uh, they do have a recent history of cheating. So it's called Sandpaper Gate, and because everything controversial has to have the fucking word gate afterwards. I mean, I have said this before, I think, but if you ever, if there's ever a controversy involving a gate, I mean, we're done, aren't we? Gate, gate. It's, uh, we need to find a new word for that. But um, 
they got found to have been using sandpaper to alter the condition of the ball, which made you know easier to get people out because the ball would swing and move about a bit more. And the people done for that were a guy called Cameron Bancroft, Steve Smith, who's still in the team, David Warner, who's still in the team, and the rest of the Australian team who evidently had no idea that this was happening, including Pat Cummins and Mitchell Stark, who when they bowled just, just suddenly would find out oh, the ball just seems to have these weird marks across it and be moving like a bastard. But I guess that's just, it's just got scuffed up on the on the soft grass. But and anyway, so all right, like I'm already being biased. Let's try, try and stay objective here. Uh, England were chasing 371 to win, which is a lot, right? Teams in the history of test, test match cricket, uh, teams rarely get to that. But they've done okay. They were still vaguely in contention. Then they lost the wicket and Johnny Bairstow, came to the crease to bat with Ben Stokes. Johnny Bairstow is basically the last of the batters. So if, if Australia can get this guy out, in all likelihood, they're going to you know win the match quite easily from there. And then uh, Alex Carey, who's the Australian wicketkeeper, who just just for the record is one of the most nothing blokes ever. And I don't mean that like in... in, in well, <laughs> evidently I do, but I just could... Every time I see him on screen, the moment he's off screen, I've forgotten what he looks like, right? But as Stuart Broad said, he might be remembered now. I mean, he looks like that guy that you've forgotten you went to school with, right? That just comes up and goes, hey, my God, Norcott. And you're like, oh, you've just called me by my surname. So I'm guessing we went to school together. It's Alex Carey. Keza. Kezbom. Kezfate. You're like, oh, mate, you can do all the nicknames you want. I just, It's just not registering. But anyway, so it's the end of the over, which is, you know, they have they bowl in units of six balls generally, and it's the end of the over. So there's a little break between those six balls generally, right, where the batsman will just wander up and have a chat with his mate. So he bowls the ball, it goes through the wicketkeeper. Usually that's considered to be the end of the over. Johnny Bairstow makes a little mark in his ground, I guess to say, right, that's it, I'm, I'm in, I'm just going to have a chat with my mate. He does it quite quick, in fairness. Uh, and then the wicketkeeper throws down the stumps. So like, well, what? everyone's confused. Like, what the fuck's happened here? Uh, it goes to a replay. Now, at this point, whatever or not Alex Carey did, right, it then goes on to the Australian captain, who's uh, Pat Cummins, who's generally, I thought, was a good bloke. Maybe he is still a good bloke. I don't know. But he plays cricket hard but fair. That's what the Aussies always say, don't they? We played hard but fair. Hard but fair. Just like in 2013, when Michael Clark was openly wishing that... Um, one of the Australian bowlers would break James Anderson's arm. Hard, but fair. Hard, but unfair. Um, and, it, and it all kicks off. So he's given out. At this point, Pat Cummings could have withdrawn the appeal, right? He could have. Now, I understand the pressure he's on. He's got all his teammates on him. They know that Bairstow's the last recognised batter. But he doesn't withdraw the appeal. And then Lords suddenly becomes like fucking Mill away. I mean, I can't explain to you how unusual it was for this place, which is quite toffy, plummy, it's quite posh, you know, the home of cricket, all that stuff. It it would, I'm trying to think of a sport in comparison, if you don't know anything about cricket, it would be like if centre court at Wimbledon suddenly, suddenly started going, the umpire is a wanker, yeah, or, or like when, when <laughs> Novak Djokovic comes out, started chanting, you know what you are, you know what you are, you anti-vax bastard, you know what you are. And the Australian team goes through the long room, which is the place in the pavilion where all the Lords members, all those posh blokes in blazers that you might have seen over the years, they get to sort of, they usually clap the team in. They'll clap fucking anything, these guys. They're just so delighted to be near their cricketing heroes. But it's turned, you know, we've had a whole hour of booing and the Aussies being called cheats by the crowd and and the the Lords, the posh guys have fucking, they've drunk the Kool-Aid. You know, their faces are already red, these lads, you know what I mean, from drinking port and eating stilton. 
And now they look like they've all done poppers. They're in the Aussie team's face, jabbing their fingers, going, cheats, cheats. They're chanting cheats in the long run. I mean, it was a cool... Look, I, I will come to it. I, I do think that Australia should have withdrawn the appeal, but I do think that those guys sort of fucking lost it. And, um, and I think that some of them are going to get suspended now, which I think is kind of hilarious. These posh old guys having to go back to their wives and, you know, in the morning she's packed him his little fucking crab paste sandwich, do you know what I mean? And a little something in foil, some nice Stilton. They love Stilton, those boys. And any, any cheese that, that sort of gives, brings them out in a rash, right? Um, and it's kind of hilarious that they'll have to explain to their wives, I'm darling. You know, as they were leaving, she's like, behave yourself today, Ronald. And then he gets back, darling, I've been suspended from the MCC. <laughs> what? What? Well, I, t- I said to, I told David Warner he's a dirty fucking cheat. Now, um, can I have my slippers and my pipe? Is it, sorry, Ronald, you you waited 30 years to become a member at the MCC. Yeah, darling, I, I, dare, say, I dare say I lost my composure. Um, it was, I mean, great theatre. A, uh, a lot of what's been said about cricket this summer is that it's great theatre. I mean, I don't think that I've ever seen anything as exciting as this at the actual theatre. Stuart Broad, who is quite a spiky character himself, he goes out to bat. He's happy to sort of stoke it a bit and, and, and delivers a couple of memorable quotes. He said to Alex Carey, the wicketkeeper, he said, um, that's all you'll ever be remembered for. Um, I would say, given how forgettable I find the bloke, I would say that's actually a step up for Alex Carey, that he'll be remembered for something. Um, he also said, that's the worst thing I've ever seen on a cricket pitch, which if we're trying to offer a bit of balance here, Stuart, it should be said that Stuart Broad was also the guy who in 2013 quite patently edged behind off the young Australian spinner and just didn't walk, just stood there brazen. And because the umpire just had a fucking senior moment or something, um, wasn't given out. Uh, but but also there were consequences to that for Stuart Broad, right? So he didn't walk. England went on and won that test match. Then when England toured Australia next, the whole of Australia just was singing Stuart Broad is a shit bloke. There was a national tabloid, I think, who launched a hate campaign against him. So, so he took his medicine then. Maybe the Australian team uh, will, will have to take some medicine now. And they certainly took it off the tops in the, tops in the members' enclosure. I mean, I would say this about the tops. People like, took against them because they were posh. I, th- I think emotionally, those guys were just in the same place as a lot of the whole crowd. You know, The problem was, was they had a privilege, right? And it should be, realistically, a bit of a sanctuary for the cricketers' day. They shouldn't be... In fairness to Australia, you don't expect to be having like, uh, you know, Lord Ponson this smile fucking trying to nut you as you're walking back to have your lunch. It's um, It probably probably was a bit unsavoury. But anyway, so Ben Stokes goes goes run crazy after this and uh, or gets England to a point where they could have won the game. I, I don't, I'm not saying that we were that close, but could have won the game. And it was it was incredible. Like Stokes going crazy one end, the Aussie team getting booed the other but what really what was interesting, right, was what happened afterwards. And and you saw some Australian pundits like Glenn McGrath, who was I thought was really uncomfortable with what had happened, you know. So there was it was clearly those on the Australian side that wasn't thought it wasn't cricket, right? There is a phrase, some people have disputed the idea of the spirit of cricket, but there is a fucking phrase that's hundreds of years old called that's not cricket, is it? That's not really cricket. It suggests that cricket sometimes can aspire to higher ideals uh, than other sports. And 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 I think you know, Pat Cummins felt defensive in the interviews afterwards. So he he was a little bit, not not belligerent, I would say, but he was in no mood to sort of, uh, he was in no mood to, to express any contrition whatsoever. He could have poured tonic on troubled waters and said, oh, look, you know, we'll go away. And, oh, look, you know, the way the Aussie sportsmen give 
sports interviews. Oh, look, uh, you know, it's pretty ordinary. Look, oh, look, hey, look, you know, just done a bit of that. And we'd have gone, okay, look, maybe if in the fullness of time he realises. But he sort of just said, no, I'm I'm fine with it. Yeah, I'm fine with it. And when when they told him that Ben Stokes had said that in the same position that he would have uh, withdrawn the appeal, he went, okay, which is a bit defensive because he's got, it sort of said, um, basically the implication is, uh, ben Stokes is a better bloke than you. What do you have to say to that? <laughs> now, I believe Ben Stokes. I believe that Ben Stokes would have withdrawn the appeal. Some other England players? Stuart Broad, in fact. Even Johnny Bairstow. I, I wonder. I wonder if they would have... Um, I wonder if they would have withdrawn the appeal. So I'm not saying that the whole England team are operating on the same moral plane as Ben Stokes, but I do take um, Stokes at face value. And it is funny. It is funny watching the reaction to this because obviously like politics like anything else so much of our take on things comes from our emotional starting point and you do see those people that if they just sort of hate England right generally as a concept or hate English sport or hate English cricket like that's your starting point so you're going to find a way as to why this was absolutely fine it's fine it's just hard but fair look England take it fucking take it you whinging palms it's hard but fair. I mean, Pat Cummings could literally have sort of spiked our lunch, right, <laughs> with GHB and they go, it's hard but fair. It's fucking hard but fair. And I'm I'm trying to be objective. Obviously, I'm a big England cricket fan. I just think realistically, okay, in the moment Alex Carey made a decision, maybe he didn't know it was the end of the over, he threw down the stumps, right? So then it's really actually onto the captain to make the call, it was all happened very quickly. Okay, you know, something happens, a mistake out on the pitch. It, it, I, I would rather, I would have preferred if they'd have withdrawn it, obviously. But I think the reaction afterwards, I do think that at some point Pat Cummins will sort of think, maybe I, maybe I could have been a bit more diplomatic. And I suppose that the um, the problem for the Aussies is that it does it does it does revive that question after Sandpaper Gate. You know, it was leopards and spots? Do have they really fully changed as a side? You know. I heard rumours that David Warner, this is a lot of cricket chat. And if you don't like cricket and you've stayed with this, I hope you've just, perhaps for the soap opera element, just just stuck with it a little bit. So what I would say is that the atmosphere, whatever happens in the next test, which starts ahead of me on Thursday, if you can watch it or listen to it, I, I, I would. It's going to be exciting. Maybe England will just fucking lose their heads completely and Australia will steamroll us. I've no idea how it'll work out. But I think what most people think is that we talk about the spirit of cricket, but cricket is never as entertaining or engaging as when, as when that spirit of cricket is fundamentally broken. Okay, so how, what do you think about my take there? Did I go in hard? Did I go in fear? Was it hard but fear? How but fear? You can write in any letter to what's most people think UK at gmail.com. Uh, on that note, I've got a letter from my friend Eamon Hale, who is an Australian living in Dorset. Will he still be listening after this? Um, he said, This morning I listened to the end of your latest episode with the great Dominic Frisbee, and I've been thinking about it all day. I mean, I really recommend this again, the last 10 minutes of that episode. Just have a listen if you haven't caught up yet. Um, Eamon says I found it immensely moving especially having listened to the majority of the episode yesterday before saying goodbye to my daughter this morning so what it's about it's about and, and it was something that I hadn't given much thought to but when kids were suddenly evacuated to the southwest of England just what a fucking psychological I don't know how people coped parents just literally putting their kids on the train and saying see you in a while go and live with another family write me a letter you know I mean it's just it's just beyond belief 
and 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 Eamon kind of speaks to that fact. So um, he says he's been listening for uh, since the beginning and been on your Patreon for quite a while. And he says I'm glad my little contribution helps make great podcasts like this one. Uh, listen, I appreciate that. Also, look if you can't afford the uh, Patreon at the moment, if you're one of those people that listens by just searching for it every week, going oh that podcast, yes, yeah, search it. Could you just follow, subscribe? It helps do all the numbers up. Give it a little review, that kind of thing. I also had a, a letter from Tiggs. Tiggs mentioned a couple of things, but she also brought up something which a lot of people have now um, said to me is that I'm saying the word tangential wrong. I'm saying tangential, and it actually is tangential. tangential. But tangential, doesn't that sound like, that sounds like a sort of sex, doesn't it? Like, you know when they say, what sex are you? Male, female, tangential. <laughs> or tangential could be a way of like a, one of the products that could you know sponsor a podcast have you ever looked at your pale old bollocks and thought i don't want to risk getting them burnt in the sun but i would like them to have some color apart from that weird purpley hue that they often have that's where tangential comes into the mix tangential is a is a smooth bollock friendly <laughs> a smooth bollocks friendly cream that you could apply that just gives your gives your balls a nice <laughs> Bouncy Brown to take... Oh, my God. I'm going to stop now. Okay. We're just going to uh, we're gonna end with the review. So if you like the podcast, do give it a, a five-star review. There was one person recently who gave it, like, a really great review, and it was one star. I think you pressed the wrong button, mate. So could you go back and stop fucking up my numbers, man? But basically, if you leave me a five-star review, I will uh, read them out. This is... Um, as a, This is... It doesn't have a name here. Um, it says, as a Brit living in Australia, I love staying up to date with all the nonsense in the UK with this great podcast. Jeff feels like that informed mate of the pub that you wish could meet your lefty family members. <laughs> Sounds like you're under pressure at home, mate. Um, Jeff, uh, I think that that's it. One review? Fucking hell, come on, man. Come on. Oh, this was the one. Um, somebody called Thorpe JD said he can't pronounce Birmingham for toffee, but he's a quality top spinner of political debate and gave me a one star. You gave me a fucking one star. Come on. Please go back and do it again. Um, this one says, got to say, Jeff is killing it on his show. This is uh, the big sigh. Thanks very much for that. Um, there's a couple more reviews here. They don't list them in... Um, um, and there's one person that gave me a shit review uh, because they didn't like David Baddiel. Look, if you don't like one episode and you give it a shit review, that means you're, you're basically saying the whole podcast is shit. So give me... All right, fair enough. You didn't like the, the one episode... But could you go back and give a good review for... Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm done begging for reviews. If you've got something nice to say, five stars and I will read it out. And evidently, if you confuse me, I'll also read those out. Um, I hope that you've had a good week. I hope by hope by this time next week we'll be celebrating a win against the, the cheating Aussies. <laughs> the cheat It wasn't cheating as such. People say, like, oh, it's within the laws of the game. Yeah, so is grand-scale tax avoidance, but it doesn't make it right. <laughs> Thank you.